0: At the Canaan Church, our mission is bringing people to Christ and helping every person to become a mature disciple in Christ. Canaan Christian Church, where people dare to dream. Now, if you'll turn with me to the book of Zechariah chapter 7, the book of Zechariah chapter 7, and let's start with verse 1. Now in the fourth year of King Darius, it came to pass that the word of the Lord came to Zechariah on the fourth day of the ninth month of Shevelin, when the people sent Sherezer with Regim Mecham and his men to the house of God to pray before the Lord, and to ask the priests who were in the house of the, of the Lord of Hosts and the prophets, saying, should i weep in the fifth month and fast as i have done so for done for so many years then the word of the lord of hosts came to me saying say to all the people of the land and to the priests when you fasted and mourned in the fifth and seventh months during those 70 years did you really fast for me for me when you eat and when you drink, do you not eat and drink for yourselves? Should you not have obeyed the words which the Lord proclaimed through the form of prophets when Jerusalem and the cities around it were inhabited and prosperous, and the south and the lowlands were inhabited? Then the word of the Lord came to Zechariah, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, execute true justice show mercy and compassion every one to his brother do not oppress the widow or the fatherless the alien or the poor let none of you plan evil in his heart against his brother but they refused to heed shrugged their shoulders and stopped their ears so that they could not hear yes they made their hearts like flint refusing to hear the law and the words which the Lord of Hosts had sent by His Spirit through the form of prophets. Thus great wrath came from the Lord of Hosts. Therefore it happened that just as He proclaimed, and they would not hear, so they called out, and I would not listen, says the Lord of Hosts. But I scattered them with a whirlwind among all the nations which they had not known. Thus the land became desolate after them, so that no one passed through or returned. For they made the pleasant land desolate. Amen. Now, we just praise God and we celebrate God for His goodness and for His grace and for how God continues to show us his purpose and his plans for our lives. When we think about our salvation experience, is there any word, is there one word that could capsulate um, what it means for us to be saved, what it means for us to be the people of God. And I think that there is and that word is relationship. Relationship. What does it mean for you and I as the people of God to be saved? It means that we have a personal relationship with God in Christ. Being a Christian, being saved is not that I know about God no it is that I know him being a Christian being saved is not simply that I believe that there is a God no being a Christian means that I have come into a personal relationship with God because of the finished work of Christ on the cross and you and I ought to love Jesus I'm going to say it again, that you and I ought to love Jesus because he did something for us that we could not do for ourselves. It is through the giving of his life, it is through his shed blood on the cross at Calvary that he made it possible that we could be reconciled, restored, redeemed, and brought back into a right relationship with God. To be saved means we have a relationship with God. Now, when you understand that you have a relationship with God, then it ought to say to you and I that we cannot be satisfied with just going through the motion. If we're saved, then we ought to say to ourselves, I got to move far beyond being religious, that that if I'm saved, I got to understand that I have a relationship with God and out of that relationship, I'm praising God for what he has already done for me in my past. I'm blessing his name because he's doing something with me right now. And then I'm gonna give him an anticipatory praise On what he's going to do. So I bless God that when he saved me, that he saved me for a purpose. He didn't save me just to look cute on Sunday, but he saved me because he wants me to be a participant with him in the ongoing movement of his Kingdom in the world. And because God has a purpose for our lives and he wants to continue to establish his kingdom in the world, then God continues to deal with us. He continues to speak to us. He continues to guide us. He continues to intervene in the affairs of our lives because God understands that while he has saved us, he understands that we are always a work in process. I'm saved, but I'm not perfect. I'm saved, but I haven't arrived. I'm saved, but I ain't got it all together. But I think Jeremiah had it right that the potter takes clay puts it on the wheel, forms the pottery, and then he takes it off the wheel, but he sees that the pottery still has some deformity to it. There's a twig here, there's there's a scar there. So he breaks the pottery, breaks the vessel, puts it back on the wheel, and begins to shape it and mold it again. And he goes through that process over and over again of taking the vessel, the pottery off the wheel and putting it back on the wheel and keep reshaping it because the potter will not give up on the vessel that he is making. I don't know about you, but that makes me want to holler right now that God is so loving. He's so long suffering. He is so purposeful about my life that he won't give up on me. He just keeps working on me to keep making me and molding me into what he wants me to be. So there are times in your life and times in my life when God intervenes, when God disrupts our life and he didn't get your permission. He didn't ask you if you wanted it. He didn't ask you if you agreed with what he was about to do. He didn't say, if I let this happen, will it be all right with you? He'll just give us a disruptive moment because of what he's purposing to work out in our lives. So when we look at this wonderful book of Zechariah, this minor prophet with a major message, we thank God for the revelation that we receive. Because again, you understand by now that the book of Zechariah gives us revelation on two levels. One level, it speaks to us about the historic event that took place in the life of the children of Israel as a remnant of people were allowed to leave Babylon, make their way back to Jerusalem when Darius was the king of Persia and when Zerubbabel was the governor. This remnant of people would go back to the holy city with the challenge of rebuilding the city of Jerusalem and rebuilding the temple. On a higher level when we studied the book of Zechariah, it reminds us and speaks to us about the fact that there is a purpose that God has been working out in the world for a long time. That God in his progressive revelation has been working within the uh, perspective of time to redeem the world and to establish his kingdom in the world and he did it particularly through the person of Jesus Christ so that the church now is a part of that movement of God. Now, the book of Zechariah has two parts. When we looked at chapters 1 through chapter 6, that was part 1. When you get to chapter 7 in the book of Zechariah, we have moved into the second part of the book of Zechariah. Now, when you look at chapter seven in Zechariah, chapter seven opens and there are some similarities to the opening of chapter seven or the second book of of Zechariah as it was to Zechariah and the first part of the book of Zechariah. Because if you go back to chapter one in Zechariah, and you look at verses one through six, you can see that uh, it opens with God sending the prophet Zechariah to speak to this remnant that came back to Jerusalem. And there is a, uh, a, a call to repentance that has been issued by the prophet Zechariah. Zechariah is calling this remnant of people who have come back to the holy city He says God is calling you to repent. When you come to chapter 7, which is our text today, again, this chapter is opening with God calling the people again to a place of repentance. Now, chapter 6 and chapter 7 have a tie. It's like you have a book and you have part one and part two. So there's a scene that brings them together. And the scene that brings them together is that in chapter six, there are three men who come back to the holy city, who come from Babylon. They come back to the holy city. And then when you get to chapter seven, there are men who come back to the holy city from Bethel. When you go to chapter 7, chapter 7 and chapter 8 are tied together in a serious way as we move into the second half of the book of Zechariah because the issue of fasting is raised in chapter 7 and it will be dealt with again in chapter 8. This delegation that comes from Bethel back to the Holy City uh, they, they are raising the question as to should we continue to fast and mourn? Uh, there the, are the, 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 the two fasts spoken of in chapter 7. Uh, is they speak of the fifth month and uh, they speak of uh, a later month. Uh, should we fe- weep in the fifth month and fast? And then should we uh, also fast and mourn in the seventh month? And when you look at chapter eight, there is the question of should we do it also in the fourth month and in the tenth month? They, they want to know should we continue with the religious rites that we were doing, be- uh, doing the 70 years that we were uh, in captivity? uh, Should we continue carrying out these religious rites that we did actually before we went into captivity? And during the 70 years that we were in captivity, should we continue to do it now? Should we keep fasting and mourning? When they raise the question, they're going to get more than what they ask for. Because the prophet Zechariah is not just going to give them a simple uh, answer. He's going to give them a full-blown response and he's going to do it by raising three serious questions that's going to prod their consciousness. And we read these questions starting with Verse uh, 5, with verse 5 in chapter 7. Now, when the question is raised, when the question is raised, should we continue to fast and mourn? Should we continue in this religious rites, with these religious rites? Understand, beloved, the context wherein now this question is being raised. The temple that was in ruin in Jerusalem has already, they've already started the process of rebuilding the temple. Because when you get to chapter 7 in Zechariah, some time has gone by. So the temple is not complete, but it's, it's well going forward in terms of the process of being rebuilt. In other words, people can see the temple going up. what What had once been laying in desolation, now the temple is being built. And while it has not been completed, Ron, they can see the temple coming back into formation. This group wants to know from Bethel Should we keep fasting like we did during the 70 years of desolation when our people were in bondage in Babylon? We would come by the site where the temple used to be and we would fast and we would mourn. Should we continue to fast now that this remnant has come back to Jerusalem and we see the temple coming back into formation. The temple is being rebuilt. Fast forward. Look at somebody say, fast forward. Should we continue to fast and mourn now that we've come to this phase of the pandemic, Now that we're at this place where we can take the mask off, now that we've come to this phase where we can come back into the church building, should we continue to fast and mourn like we were doing for three years when we could not come into God's house, when we were fasting and mourning because people were dying all over the nation, where they were putting bodies in, in 18-wheeler trucks in New York. Do we keep fasting and mourning now as we did when we were at the height of the pandemic? Do we still do it now? What should be our disposition and what should be our mindset and how should we be living as people of God now in light of what we have already experienced and where God has brought us from and what God has brought us through? That's the question that was raised by this group from Bethel to the prophet Zechariah. And so Zechariah says that my response to you is gonna be very challenging, cause to your question, then there are three questions that God told me to put back in your face. So look at, look, look at verse four in Zechariah chapter seven. Then the word of the Lord of hosts came to me saying, Say to all the people of the land and to the priests. Don't just say it to the pastor. Say it to the whole congregation. And and, and, and I'm reading from the New King James Version. Uh, this really reads, it, it'll get you if I were to read it in the Message Bible or the NIV or something like that. So I'm going to, contemporize this a little bit when you fasted and mourned in the fifth and seventh months during those 70 years did you really fast for me I mean really was it really all about me God says did you really do it him when you eat and when you drink do you not eat and drink for yourselves you you, you don't eat and drink for me so what is the what is it about your fasting and mourning that is to lead me to believe that you did that for me should you not have obeyed the words which the Lord proclaimed through the former prophets when Jerusalem and the cities around it were inhabited and prosperous and the south and the lowlands were inhabited? Uh, really, you, you did what your mom and your daddy did, says the Lord. What they called fasting was not true fasting. The problem is the problem of motivation. Why are you doing what you're doing? Because fasting don't mean nothing if you ain't doing it for the right reason. Fasting as a spiritual discipline and fasting, make no mistake about it, when done right, fasting is unquestionably one of the disciplines of the spirit life. When done right, it is one of the authentic disciplines of the spirit life. But, but if your motivation ain't right, if your reason for doing it ain't right, then your fasting will have no spiritual uh, uh, results that would be spiritually rewarding for your life. Is the question of motivation. Why are you doing what you're doing? Because true spiritual fasting should lead to a change of behavior. Amen. If I'm fasting unto the Lord, the result ought to be a closer walk with God on my behalf. If I'm truly fasting and abs- abstaining from sin, or I got a little head, abstaining from food and drink, if I'm giving up food and drink, as a part of my fasting, I'm, I'm abstaining from food and drink, it ought to be evident that there is a new attitude and a new disposition in my life towards pleasing God. So what God is telling Zachariah to tell the people is that I'm, I'm not interested in your fasting as an abstinence of food and drink. What I want is an abstinence from sin. What I want you to get rid of is not the food and the drink as much as what I want you to get rid of is behavior that's not pleasing in my sight. so what is God calling for he's calling for repentance he's calling for repentance look at look at verse 8 then the word of the Lord came to Zechariah saying thus says the Lord of hosts execute true justice show mercy and compassion everyone to his brother Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the alien or the poor. Let none of you plan evil in his heart against his brother. And when you read verse 11 through verse 14, what Zechariah is reminding them is that the reason why the nation went into captivity in the first place had to do with their disobedience. Disobedience brings curses, and it is obedience that brings blessing. So why is it that Zechariah is bringing up this matter of repentance again? See, it's repetitive, isn't it? He, He keeps, he's kind of repeating himself. Because he opens this prophetic word in chapter one, saying to the people that God is calling them to what? Repentance. Now, here it is now in chapter seven, which is the beginning of the second half of the book, Zechariah's coming back again, and he's telling the people that it's important that they what? Repent. Why is it that he keeps bringing it up? Why? And why is it important that even today that as pastors and preachers and prophets and teachers of the word of God, why is it that we still need to keep before people the issue of sin? Why is it that we still today need to say to the people of God, to the church of God, that we still need to continue to repent? and keep turning toward God and keep drawing near to God. Why? Because you see, in the world in which we live today, uh, the the, the word sin in the church doesn't seem to be a subject that is involved. It seems to be taboo to talk about sin in the church today. A lot of preachers today never Mention the word sin. Never speak to the people of God about repenting because that's not something that really uh, brings about an amen. That, that's, that's not something that lends itself to shouting. What, 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 the, what has happened to the church is we have a kind of consumeristic religion consumerism. We just come to church to hear what God's going to do for me. What I want God to give me. In the church today, our faith doesn't seem to have any credibility. Our faith doesn't seem to have any credibility unless you're talking about God giving you a car or a house or more money, giving you some more stuff. Your faith is determined by the materialistic things that you have. Yeah. This false prosperity gospel. And I'm not against prosperity because I believe in prosperity. I believe that God is the one who can make me prosperous. The Bible itself says God is the one who gives us the power to have wealth. But, but, but I don't believe that the essence of my faith is determined by some stuff. Because I know people right now, today, who got more stuff than what I got. And they'll probably have more than I'll ever have in my life, but I'm not concerned about stuff. Because I got something that money can't buy. And I'd rather have peace and joy and the anointing and faith and hope and love and contentment. I'd rather have that than some stuff. But we don't we, we don't hear in the church, you know, the issue of sin. We don't don't want to talk about Jesus' death on a cross because to talk about his crucifixion on the cross, you got to raise the question as to why did he die? Because he didn't die for faults of his own life. So now you got to deal with the failure of humankind and God's purpose to reconcile what was broken. Yeah, we don't, we don't wanna talk about sin, we don't wanna talk about repentance. If we do talk about repentance, we're always talking about it as though it has to do with people outside the church. Yeah. The heathen, quote unquote, the person who's never confessed hope in Christ. But repentance, repentance is a subject that has to remain. In the teaching of the church of God. Because saved people are not perfect people. And repentance is not a one-time act. It ain't a one-time episode. I got saved because I confessed my hope in Jesus Christ. I repented of my sins. I asked Jesus to come into my heart and become my personal Lord and Savior. I repented of my sins to God be the glory that brought me into a saving relationship with God. But after he saved me, it is of necessity that I keep on repenting. Because repentance is not a one-time act. I'm a part of the fraternity, a Phi a Alpha Phi Alpha. Praise God, 1906. It was a mighty good year. But when I crossed over, hell night, after that, I was in. I didn't have to do anything else regarding that. I'm in. That's not your salvation. It's not like crossing over hell night. You're AKA U Delta after you crossed over, sister. That ain't like your salvation. Brother, you capital you Omega, I understand I celebrate all of the fraternities and sororities. but when you cross over, it, it'll work for the fraternity, it'll work for the sorority, but it don't work for the kingdom.. Amen. Amen. Because repentance is not a one-time episode. it is a lifestyle. Amen. Yeah. How did Paul put it? Paul says, "I die daily there is the need to keep on dying to self when you read Romans chapter 7 there are some biblical theologians who can't handle it because Paul says he says that uh, I'm saved but I still got a problem with myself I sleep with the enemy he said He says, the things that I ought to do, I don't do. And the things I ought not do, I find myself doing. So he says, I find that there's a law within me that when I would do good, evil is always present. With my mind, I want to do right. He said, but I find there's an old me that keeps rising up against the new me. And he says, sometimes it gets so bad that I got to cry, oh, wretched man that I am. Who shall deliver me from this body of death? Then he says, but thanks be unto God for Jesus. Then you keep reading, going into Romans chapter 8. Therefore, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but who walk after the Spirit. Well, the only way you keep walking after the Spirit is you got to keep on repenting. God helped scary preachers who scared to teach and preach about sin. God helped scary preachers who are insecure so they can't talk about repentance because that kind of preaching and teaching they think ain't going to bring the crowd. Well, God ain't trying to have a crowd. God wants a church. It was a crowd that crucified Jesus. Repentance has to keep coming up because we're always in the process of becoming. Why is Zechariah talking about repentance and why is he doing it in the context of fasting? Because you would think that uh, you wouldn't be talking about repentance in the context of fasting. After all, fasting is supposed to be one of the spiritual disciplines. And after all, if I'm fasting and I'm giving up what I'm eating and I'm giving up what I'm drinking, Am I not giving of myself? But the word of God is showing us that the reason why repentance has to be dealt with in the context of something like what is supposed to be a spiritual discipline as fasting is because we are so slick and our hearts are so corrupt and so devious that we'll take something like fasting and we will play we'll play we'll pretend like it's for God When in reality, we're not fasting because we want to get closer to God because we want God to use us more powerfully for his kingdom. We're just fasting because we want God to do more for us. So, so God, when I fast, it ain't got nothing to do with you. I ain't fasting, God, because I'm trying to get close to you. I ain't fasting, God, because I want the anointing to, to be dripping from my life so that men can see the good works and glorify the Father in heaven. God, I'm fasting only because I want you to give me something else. I'm selfish, I'm self-centered but I gotta cloak it with fasting because on my resume it says I belong to such and such church so I want folk to think I love Jesus but it's really all about me how many of us would serve God If he didn't give you the car, if he doesn't give you the house, if you don't get the promotion, if you don't get most stuff, how many would still go to church and say, God is good? How many of us will still be talking about I'm blessed and highly favored? I ain't scared (laughs) you may not like me today but I'm going to tell you what he said yeah the the, the, the reason why this is being brought up is because God says I'm pulling the cloak off of you you ain't going to keep on getting to pretend you ain't going to keep on getting to placate no God says, I'm going to show you for who you are. And I'm telling you, beloved, I'm about through. But I'm telling you, if you ask me, Pastor, what is God asking of us now on this side of the pandemic? I'll tell you, he's asking us to repent. Yeah, he's calling for cleansing and he's calling for correction. And he ain't speaking to some of us. <laughs> Ooh, child of God, he's talking to all of us. From the pulpit to that back door. Preacher and parishioner. He ain't leaving nobody out. He's calling for repentance. And I tell you, he that hath an ear ought to hear what the Spirit of God has to say. Yeah. Yeah. The Bible I read says judgment first is first gonna to come to the house of God. Yeah, yeah. He's calling for repentance. The pandemic was a time of God resetting the world, resetting his church and resetting our lives. And so we need to be asking ourselves: if God has allowed me to yet live, what is it that he wants out of my life? And what is it that he wants to do in my life and through my life for the advancement of his kingdom? Because he he wants to bless us with the anointing. He wants the seven spirits of God, the manifestation of the Holy Spirit, the impartation of the Holy Spirit, the revelation that only the Holy Spirit can give. He wants all of that to show up in your life, and in my life. But the Bible I read says God will not dwell in an unclean house. My friend Noel Jones says God's not going to live with what he died to get rid of. Are you listening to me? What is being raised in the book of Zechariah is fasting that was false fasting. Now turn with me quickly to the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 58, Isaiah chapter 58, Um, starting with verse 1, Isaiah chapter 58, starting with verse 1. This, This 58th chapter of Isaiah is speaking to us about fasting that pleases God. See, there's, there's fasting that does not please him because it's what? It's false. But then there's fasting that what? Pleases God. Isaiah chapter 58 verse 1. Cry aloud and spare not. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Tell my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the ordinance of their God. They ask of me the ordinances of justice. They take delight in approaching God. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen? Why have we afflicted our souls and you take no notice? In fact, in the day of your fast, you find pleasure and exploit all your laborers. Indeed, you fast for strife and debate and to strike with the fisk of wickedness. You will not fast as you do this day to make your voice voice heard on high. Is it a fast that I have chosen? A day for a man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his head like a bull rush and to spread out sackcloth and ashes? Would you call this a fast and an acceptable day up to the Lord? Is this not the fast that I have chosen to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free and that you break every yoke Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out? When you see the naked that you cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh, then your light shall break forth like the morning. Your healing shall spring forth speedily, and your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, Here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger, and speaking wickedness, if you extend your soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, then your light shall dawn in the darkness, and your darkness shall be as the noonday. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your soul in drought and strengthen your bones. You shall be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Those from among you shall build the old waste places. You shall rise up the foundation, you shall raise up the foundations of many generations, and you shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. Thus saith the word of the Lord. It's in that 58th chapter of Isaiah that God teaches us how to fast. He said, they're asking, why you haven't heard us? And God says, the fast that you call yourself carrying out, he says, is that the fast that I called you to? Because God says, the fast that I called you to is going to reveal a change of behavior. And the fast that I call you to is a fast where you treat other people right. You can't treat people wrong and then call yourself fasted. You can't engage in wickedness and then say you're getting close to God. Yeah. So what we read in the book of Zechariah Uh, As I close it out, I put it like this. What we're reading is God is saying to the church, get right, church, and let's go home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get right, church, and let's go home. God be praised. The people represent the church no matter where we are. So stay connected and reach others as we grow in Christ.